Faces come and go and I'm forever grateful Come and tell me long and slow exactly what I wait for Better times, yeah, better times, somehow I don't believe it I built a house up long ago just to up and leave it For those of our podcast listeners keeping score of our sabermetric statistics at home, and yes, there's your first baseball reference of the podcast in the first line, uh, we're going to establish a new record today for the newest employee to ever be featured on an episode of On the Wing podcast. And that featured employee is Ryan Sparks. The brand spanking new editor of the Quail Forever Journal. Ryan's joining me today on what is now midway through his seventh day in the office. He's grinning. He's, uh, I think, had a pretty good run on s- for, for six and a half days anyways. We'll see how this goes. I haven't run me off yet. <laughs> um, f- for some folks, uh, you know, thinking about six days as an employee and then being thrust into a podcast that may seem a little bit daunting but uh from from ryan's first interview i know he can handle this conversation because we're going to focus on his passion for quail quail habitat quail hunting bird dogs and creative writing which is uh kind of that all the reasons he got hired as the new editor of the Quail Forever Journal. It brings a wealth of experience and talent, and uh, he's going to do a great job. And and, um, my goal for this particular episode is to uh, introduce Ryan to the Quail Forever membership audience, all of our partners, and uh, all the folks out there in social media land um, want to want you all to get to know Ryan as I have the last few days. I think you'll be really pleased as uh, as you get to meet our new editor of the Quail Forever Journal. So, Ryan, thank you very much for yeah. taking time. Happy to be here. Um, you've done a few podcasts before, a few. right? Yep, that's right. <laughs> well, we're not we're not completely throwing you into the fire. So, I, I explained my goal is, you know, for folks to kind of get to know who you are and um so in a way it's like your interview all over again yeah i was actually thinking that when we when we walked in here no it'll be fun what if you were to just think about it on the front end what do you want what is there a goal that you have that you want to relate as we head into this for quail forever members the twenty thousand, roughly twenty thousand members that are um you know have sent in their hard-earned dollars to be members of quail forever and are hopefully all 20,000 of them are listening today. Sure. Well, I just want people to know that, um, I love to hunt quail as much as anyone. Uh, I love bird dogs. I love healthy habitat. Um, I love telling good stories and, um, I want to feel like I'm accessible to members as well. So, uh, if people have stories to tell, um, I hope they can feel like they can reach out at any time and, um, I'll get back to them. So that, that's a, yeah, that's a really cool, um, thought because I think it was maybe four hours into your first day. You're like, we were talking about pheasant fest and you know, what, what different sessions, you know, we we're just sort of brainstorming how to plug into the pheasant fest. And you're like, well, 
should have a crowdsourcing Quail Forever stories on this chosen, which for folks, we're not going kind to, of, we're not really going that direction, but it does speak to your interest in cultivating the stories that are out there on the landscape. Uh, so folks that do have stories about quail habitat, projects, dogs, hunting, yeah. if they want to reach out to you, how do they get a hold of you? Uh, you can email me, rsparks at quailforever.org. That Su- easy. Super easy, right? rsparks. And we got 20,000 members, so I know there's some good stories floating around out yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. So as we kick this off, uh, you know, we're sitting here in headquarters in Minnesota, um, but that's not where your story begins. Your story begins in Nebraska. So tell us a little bit about growing up in Nebraska. Yeah, so I grew up in southeast Nebraska, uh, right where the Platte dumps into the Missouri River is what I always tell people. Um, and growing up, uh, my dad always had bird dogs um, since I can remember. So I just kind of grew up around that. Um, I can remember hunting with my dad and both my grandfathers uh, being too young to actually carry a gun, but going in and flushing coveys for them. Hmm. And uh, back then, the quail numbers were good enough where I can remember days when I got sick of flushing coveys for, for my dad and my grandparents. Um, but uh, And then from there, um, I got my own bird dogs from my dad. Uh, we've always had pointers, uh, LU English pointers for hmm. you know the pointer people out there. <laughs> um, yeah, and since then, I mean, we can get into this, but I've kind of been all over the place as far as uh places i've lived and different things i've hunted and been very fortunate to to get to hunt a whole bunch of different birds all over the place yeah we'll we'll chat about that and your kind of your history i'm curious a little bit more about your your nebraska roots when uh, when you're you know a kid you get home from school and uh you know grab the shotgun and and go out the back door were, were you hunting quail um on your property right out the back door or was that more of a distance? Like, did you live in a rural area growing up? Yeah. So I grew up on a farm, um, pretty rural area, um, you know, small towns. Uh, and yeah, I could just, to this day, there's a covey out the, my parents back door. So it's pretty special to just Hmm. grab your shotgun and throw a couple, uh, shells in your pocket and, um, walk around the section, you know, hunt the fence row and, you know, jump, jump a covey. Even when I was home for Thanksgiving, (laughs) They're going to be in like one of three spots. I know where they're going to be at. So it was, it's fun. That is Other fun. than that, yeah, if, I mean, five, ten-minute drive. You don't have to go far at all. Huh, that's cool. And quail have been pretty special to you the entirety of your childhood, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, so, yeah, it's the very first hunting I ever did. Um, my dad loves to hunt, but the only thing that he hunts is quail. So Really? Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I like to hunt deer and turkeys and, I mean, pretty much anything, but... Uh, quail is all where it started. Quail is the reason I got into bird dogs. Um, you know, I, I got interested in writing about quail um, when I was uh, in, in college and actually wrote my um, master's dissertation on the history of bobwhite quail in the Platte River <laughs> Valley in Nebraska. And here I am in the, the quail editor position. So, wow. yeah, it's been quail from the very beginning. So tell me about college a little bit. Uh, you, you ended up at Creighton, also in Nebraska, right? Yep, yep. Um, what, what was the decision-making process there? Mm, I mean, Creighton's a good school. Um, you know, when I went there, they said it's the, the Harvard of the Midwest. Yeah. I don't know if that's true or not, but, uh, definitely, it's definitely a good school. And, um, you know, they offered me a good scholarship uh-huh. and if I'm being honest with myself, it's, you know, an hour to the farm so I could get home mm-hmm. and I could hunt a lot, probably, huh. probably hunted too much, but, uh, yeah, so be close to home, but still, still go to a good school. And, uh, what did you study? When you're 
I majored in in uh, English and history, and then I got a minor in American studies. Yeah. Do you always know you're going to be a writer? No. Um, for the longest time, and the reason I went to graduate school is I thought I wanted to be a history professor. Huh. And then sort of became disillusioned with that, did not want to be in academia. But um, my academic advisor, Michael Reedy, if he's listening, when I, when I graduated, he said, no matter what you do, you should continue to write because mm. you're a good writer. And uh, since then, I've I've kind of followed that advice, and it's it's just led me to this this point now. So well, good advice. And and you talked about the um, the history of quail in the Platte River Valley being. Did you say that was your your thesis? Or yeah, for for my graduate uh, studies at MSU Montana State in Bozeman. Oh, oh, okay. So you went to Creighton, and then you went to to Montana State in Bozeman. That's right. And. How did that become the focal point of your your thesis or your your graduate um, project? Well, I mean, at Creighton, I didn't know what I wanted to major in. And so I just initially took classes that sounded interesting to me. And after about two years, uh, English and history, it looked like that that was going to be a good fit for my major. So I just kind of have this, I just kind of followed what I was interested in, what I loved. And so it just made sense when I got to Montana State, what do you want to write about? It's funny to go out to Montana and then just write about where you came from. <laughs> How did you end up in Montana? <laughs> so I studied environmental history, and they uh, have one of the better environmental history programs in the country, and I got a full ride, so that didn't that didn't hurt either. And that was the first. So you talked about picking Creighton because it was an hour away from home. Mm-hmm. Moving to Montana was a little bit of a leap for you. Well, it didn't hurt that there's a few birds and some trout and some elk and stuff running around <laughs> out there and a lot of public ground to play around on. So that was a that was a great time in my life living out there. Yeah. Um, so from Montana, then your career starts, right? For sure. Yeah. And and what did you do right out of college? Right out of uh, out of um, Creighton? Um, no, no, Montana, Montana State. Yeah, so my wife also has a very uh, specific uh, job. She's a special collections librarian. So she works with... Special collections librarian. Rare books and special collections librarian. So she works with very old books and medieval manuscripts and things printed on vellum. So as you can imagine, there's uh, (laughs) not many jobs available in that that line of work anywhere in the world. So uh, after that, we moved to um, Kingston, Ontario. Hmm. where she had a job there at, at Queens University. And that was, um, that's when I took my advisor's uh, advice to, to keep writing because um, I found it difficult with the labor laws in Canada as an American to get a job. And so um, I'd always read Field and Stream and Outdoor Life and all those magazines growing up and always had the thought in the back of my mind, that'd be really cool to do. And so I just, I wrote something, I sent it to a magazine and it got accepted and I wrote another one and I sent it to a magazine and it got accepted. And eventually I told my wife, I said, I think I can make a living doing this. Hmm. And, um, turns out you can, <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot of work. But uh-huh. Yeah. So how long were you freelancing like that? I was a full-time freelancer for seven, eight years. Okay. Yeah. And then I, through the freelancing, I started to get some, um, masthead positions with different, so I'd write columns and things mm-hmm. for different magazines and, Yep. And if I recall correctly from your resume, your first leap from freelance to a full-time gig was at Strung. Is that right? That's right. That's right. So how'd that come about? And tell us a little bit about your role at Strung. Sure. So I started with Strung um, with one of those masthead positions. I was actually their wild foods editor. Um, I love to uh, 
cook with wild game. Um, my wife and I actually, outside of maybe a couple packs of bacon every year, we don't buy any meat from the store. So it's all deer and turkeys and pheasants and quail and ducks and geese and um, those types of things. So I was writing a column for them doing food food content, food uh, recipes. And uh, I think they were trying to make a transition at that time to more of a um, hunting and fishing focused uh you know, publication. And, um, they knew that I, you know, that's my bread and butter. So mm-hmm. they offered me the opportunity to kind of steer the ship and, and take over. And, um, yeah, was really proud of the work I did there. Um, you know, sort of essentially founding that magazine and growing it from the ground up. So, uh, you know, you, you talk about not buying food outside of a couple packs of bacon, mm-hmm. very deliberate that, I mean, in other words, you, you set out to try to fill the freezer each hunting season with enough meat to uh, yeah. get you through the year outside of a few packs of bacon. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I've got two freezers right now, and they're they're full. I mean, it's those are like literal treasure chests. That's what mm. we that's what we go to every night. I'm actually. I was curious this last year how much wild game we actually eat. So I've actually been keeping, I'm calling it a meat manifest of <laughs> what we ate for dinner every night of the whole year. And I've done, I mean, we're almost through to the end of the year here yeah. and, and just keeping track of weight and, and how much we go through. And I'll probably write something interesting from that. It'll be fun to analyze the numbers. For sure. Yeah. Anything that jumps out to you as a particular recipe that you've made over the last year that um, was was something special? Hmm. I mean, they're all, they're all special. I mean, I label, when I put something in the freezer, I don't just, it doesn't just say like quail 2023. It'll mm-hmm. say like Nebraska quail 2023. It'll say where I shot it and who I was. So then when we sit down to the meal, you can kind of remember, you know, that, that animal or that covey flush or that, you know, that moment and, and kind of give thanks to it as well. If yeah. you can, if you can remember that. So. so do you, you take a Sharpie and write, like bullet points or like sentences or how much do you put? No, on it's just like chicken scratch, you know, 2023 yeah. Nebraska quail, um, you know, standards back corner, you know, just yeah. and yeah. yeah. I, I, I probably don't do it quite to the extent that you do. I, you know, I certainly put the state, the year. Um, I also, also put like, um, you know, clean breasts or mm-hmm. yeah, shot up. Soup so, bird. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So, you know, like, okay, this is a stir fry bird or mm-hmm. a soup bird, or this is one that, you know, you really want to, um, save for a grill, you mm-hmm. know, because there's not a lot of, I plucked one the other day and it turned out it's maybe the best plucked bird I've ever done a pheasant. And mm-hmm. I wrote a plucked a plus on there. So <laughs> <laughs> that one's going to be roasted hole in the oven for sure. Uh, yeah. That's cool. That's cool. Um, all right, we're going to transition from um, Strong to your most recent um, job was with SCI. What did you do for SCI? That's right. Um, for those not familiar, it's SCI Safari Club International. Um, it's a nonprofit group that they uh, lobby for hunters' rights. And so I was the associate editor there where uh, our team put out, um, you know, uh, we put out a lot of publications every year. So we did seven magazines a year. Uh, a monthly newspaper and then at our convention we put out a daily newspaper so wow. yeah and it, did you have a particular role in all that mix uh sourcing stories editing stories coming up with content ideas um you know just being creative and figuring out how we can tell our members stories yeah transition from some of your experience to uh 
your current uh, status with bird dogs and where you're living, I want to give a shout out to Onyx, uh, national sponsor of Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever and uh, sponsor of this podcast, On the Wing Podcast. And they are running a special 20% offer if you don't have the onyx hunt app yet please go to onyxhunt.com use the code pfqf and you'll get 20 percent off your onyx membership and onyx will make a donation back to pheasants forever and quail forever's wildlife habitat mission so i mentioned you're you're here in minnesota which it's kind of the best of all worlds from a starting a new gig perspective tell us a little bit about current situation and then you know your plans for the next 12 months yeah it's funny how life works sometimes but um living in southern minnesota already had plans to move back to nebraska to the the farm where i grew up um and my wife and i are currently in the process of, of building a house there and then uh this position opened up and um you obviously want a quail editor that lives in quail country right um and I'm headed, I'm definitely headed to quail country. I'll be able to, like I mentioned before, I'll be able to hunt quail right out my back door and being right there in Southeast Nebraska, you know, Kansas is right there. Missouri's right there. Iowa's right across the river. So really in the, in the heart of that, you know, Midwest quail country, but it also offered me the opportunity to, to be here with you and meet the team in person and, um, kind of get to know things, uh, in person, which I prefer. It's great. <laughs> it's been, it's been terrific. And you also get, uh, you know, one, one more Minnesota winter, Hooray. <laughs> you go through, but yeah. you've brought like, what is it? El Nina. Yeah. Uh, we're having a Nebraska winter right now. <laughs> so, which is good for the birds and good for orientation, but, uh, you got a couple of months, of, you know, getting to know the entire team and then, uh, You'll have a new house before long, and you'll live in hopefully. the heart out of the Great Plains. <laughs> uh, yeah, hopefully yeah. the 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 driveway's poured and the the well is dug, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, the driveway's scraped down to dirt Scra- anyway. Yeah. I don't know if we're gonna pour it, but I'll have a, I'll have some gravel on there eventually. Yeah. yeah. And also, part of your plan is uh, some habitat work on that property too. That's right. I'm really looking forward to that. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Grant Woods, the the deer biologist. He uh, hmm. so for people not familiar, he he started a thing he calls the Proving Ground, where he moved. He bought some property in Missouri, and when he initially walked it, he couldn't even find a deer track. And hmm. over the course of the years, he has through habitat work has built it into a mecca of just healthy wildlife habitat. And I'm not. Uh, there's quail where I'm moving right now. So I've got a little bit of a head start on him, but it's just to, to build it and to see how much you can do to improve the habitat and not just, I mean, it'll be quail focus, but a healthy deer herd, mm. the turkeys, the pollinators, the different native grasses. So very, very excited to kind of put my shoulder to the wheel and see what we can do over there. Yeah. That, I mean, and you've talked a little bit about maybe there's a story there too. Yeah, for sure. I'd like to bring people along kind of, um, I'm sure we're going to make, mistakes along the way and kind of just show people what it takes to what, what are the processes that you can go through, Mm -hmm. you know, um, where do you get the best bang for your buck or, you know, what's the low hanging fruit of of getting things done. Program enrollments. Yeah. You know, how easy or how difficult different ones are and what you learn along the way, seed mixes. And there's a lot to hopefully in a few years, I'm an expert on CRP and equip and all the other acronyms. (laughs) Sweet. 
Um, all right. So a bit of a lightning round for you with uh, just, again, the, the goal here is for people to get to know you. And so short answers or if you want to expound upon anything or tell stories, um, um, we're, we're just going to go through a list of things that I was curious about. All right. Um, your favorite state to go on a bird hunt? I mean, I'm biased, but go Big Red, uh, <laughs> Nebraska. There's something about walking a fence line that, with your dad, and mm. you know that's special. But I do love hunting in Minnesota. Um, there's a lot of if you love to bird hunt, Minnesota is a great state because you can go up north and you can hunt rough grouse and woodcock. And around where I live in southern Minnesota, the, the pheasant numbers are really good. You can go out west and the pheasant numbers are really good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. Montana and South Dakota are also pretty high up there. But if I had to go with short answer. Do you, you want to keep going? There's 50 states. Yeah. Yeah. Have gun, will travel. Uh, how much of your Nebraska being at the top of that list do you think is your roots going home? 95% of it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I mean, I because my one of my top answers would be Michigan, right, because mm-hmm. of my roots. Nebraska is pretty special, though. Mm-hmm. You know, it's when I think about a mixed bag on the prairie, you know, pheasants, quail, bobway quail, you know, prairie chicken, you know, Nebraska and Kansas are two of the mixed bag kings. Yeah. You know, that those two states come to mind. And in the landscape, is it's more diverse than a lot of people kind of believe who haven't set foot there that's true yeah where i grew up in southeast nebraska is more um you know it's not mountains by any stretch of the imagination mm-hmm. but river bluffs and rolling hills where mm-hmm. i think a lot of times people hear nebraska and they think you know just flat mm-hmm. cornfields and stuff but yeah. there's a it's lot varied. more to it yeah the sand hills and yeah mm-hmm. it's, it's a beautiful state yeah um do you have a favorite type of quail habitat uh and Part of the reason where that's coming, I, I remember a buddy of mine um, wrote a blog. Matt Karski is the chair of the board. He wrote a blog about how he loves willows. It's like the comfort food mm-hmm. of finding pheasants. Do you have a favorite quail habitat? You know, I grew up hunting fence rows, so American plum's pretty high up there for me. Mm. Plum, plum thickets, um, you know. How do you know which side of the thicket to be on? That's why you hunt with two people, right? <laughs> one guy on one side of the fence and the other guy on the other side of the fence. Do you, you hunt? Know? Do you? Is that your preference? Is to hunt with two people? Yeah, two is is probably ideal for at least hunting in Nebraska. Yeah. Mm. Um, you know, if I'm out for pheasants in Minnesota, I I like hunting with other people, but I love to hunt by myself too. Yeah, yeah it's just something special about just you and your dog. And yeah, I I walk. I love hunting alone. Yeah, and that's the the great quandary when you approach a shelter belt or a plum thicket like or rough grouse hunting you're like what side of the tree are they gonna get yeah <laughs> the birds have got to win too sometimes they do. you know so. so sometimes they win a lot i'll yeah, tell you that most of the time <laughs> um is there a hunt at the top of your bucket list mm, well i mean i've never hunted the quail in the southwest before mm-hmm. so that's pretty high up there for me um I've also got wind that there are some wild, the now wild, originally introduced quail in the Bahamas. <laughs> so to go to the Bahamas and like fly fish for bonefish and tarpon mm-hmm. and permit, and then maybe find a covey or two, that kind of sounds like a dream <laughs> too. 
<laughs> I hadn't heard that till you brought. I think you brought that up on day See, two. I'm thinking about I it. I know. I know you. Are. <laughs> there might be a video in your future. Yeah. Huh? yeah Bonefish, yeah. Bob Whites, and Bahamas. Yeah. B cubed. <laughs> that 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 would lead me to believe that Bob should go on that trip <laughs> rather than Ryan. I think, I think I could find room for you. <laughs> Although I'm Robert, so I, I guess Bob. <laughs> a lot of alliteration there. Uh, all right, what's your what's your shotgun setup? Uh, gauge, choke, ammunition. When you're out there, just running your own stuff. What does it look like? Yes, three years ago, I think I bought a Benelli eight two eight U twenty gauge, mm-hmm. and I loved it. Carry mm. that all the time. Um, you know, for quail, bottom barrel open choke cylinder. You know, and uh, top barrel improved cylinder. Seven and a half shot. Cylinder. Cylinder, cylinder. Very open. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, walking in on coveys, if things go right, that's generally right, right there in top, your face, yeah. and you got to take a snapshot. Yeah. Yep. So cylinder, and then the, uh, the top barrel is improved. Improved cylinder, cylinder. Mm-hmm. yeah. And if I'm being honest, if I had another cylinder, I'd probably run cylinder, cylinder. <laughs> but Would you do that all year long? For quail, yeah. For yeah. bobwhites, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, what, what, what about ammo size? Seven and a half. Seven and a half. Yeah. 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 Quail are, you know, you can get away with trap loads with quail. They're mm-hmm. not the toughest bird in the world. And they're tough to hit, but right. they're not tough to bring down if you hit them. Although, so I agree with that. They're not like, I mean, rooster, you got a wallop, right? Yeah. But Boboy quail, like it doesn't take a ton to bring them down, but they hit the ground and they run and bury themselves. And yeah. Um, they're hard to recover sometimes. Uh, you know, you, you talked about owning English pointers. Um, are your, are your pups pretty good retrievers? I, she, no, not retrieving, but finding dead birds. Uh-huh. Absolutely. I'd say that's probably what she's the best at okay. is finding dead birds. So yeah. they find them and do they repoint? She'll just stand over them. Oh, yeah, wow. She won't leave them. Yeah. And have you trained your pups that, is that the Thankfully style? it was just in them. <laughs> yeah. You know, I prefer if she'd bring it to me. Huh. Are you... Uh, so you would prefer that they, because re- I know there's a school of thought that they don't want, hardcore quail hunters don't want their pointers to retrieve birds. That's why they have English cockers and mm-hmm. boykins. Do you have a preference one way or another? I mean, I'm not going to run two dogs, two different breeds right. of dogs. A flusher um, and a pointer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's cool if you can do it. But, yeah. um, but no, just... Uh, that's just kind of what she does. There's, you know, other pointers will retrieve to hand. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely think a dog can tell a difference between a, da- a wounded bird and, oh, and yeah. a, you know, a covey, right? So I'm not worried I about totally her agree. thinking there's a wounded bird and she jumps in on a fresh covey. I've never seen that happen. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. I think there's no doubt that dogs can tell the difference between a completely healthy bird, a crippled bird, mm-hmm. and a dead bird. Maybe not. Like a very young dog on their first year of hunting, they can get confused. But a, a veteran dog absolutely knows the difference. Yeah. And my dog, Tippet. I mean, I've seen her up to her shoulders in a hole, pull, in, pull a quail out or bird under a log or, you know, it's amazing sometimes yeah. um, where she can find them. Yeah. yeah. It's really incredible. Um, how many bird dogs is ideal for you? For me, probably three or four would be the right number. Um, that way you can... You can hunt all day for several days in a row. You know, right now I'm down to one dog. So if I go on a 
you know, even just a three day trip, if I want to hunt all day, I mean, that's, that's asking a lot of, mm-hmm. her, of my dog physically. And she's seven now too. So, mm. but I've got two more lined up. Uh, hopefully if the litters come through, maybe one this winter and one in the spring. So. And your names are already on it or your name is on the, these litters and they're uh, set to happen in 2024. Hopefully that's the plan. Yeah. <laughs> so it'll be fun. Have Any English pups. pointers? pointers yep. Point, it, yeah it drive you crazy when i say english no <laughs> no it doesn't i know some people it does i know it, it does. i me. know i've heard no. it <laughs> no i was just laughing because uh you don't have to ask about the point if it is it a pointer or not yeah <laughs> it's pointers all the way down with me so yeah. well that was gonna be if if uh you were gonna get a secondary breed i'd probably would... just stop hunting <laughs> <laughs> no i'm just kidding i'm just kidding i think sort of <laughs> i think setters are really cool dogs i think Brittany's are i mean all dogs are really cool mm-hmm. it's just i grew up with pointers my dad's always had pointers mm-hmm. that's just uh it's like it's like you're talking about with how much your answer for nebraska is about your roots it's yeah. the same thing with the dogs it's just goes back to the my roots it, it is funny like if you ask somebody with pointers yeah, what their second favorite is, it's always English setters. If the Those reverse, are the two classics, right? right? If yeah. yeah, okay. If you weren't, if you didn't have English setters, what would you get? Pointers. <laughs> yeah. It's never uh, Nova Scotia duck tolling retriever. No, no. There's just there's a style there that you're just hooked into. I like the energy. I like the. They're just just raw athletes and mm. and then i like that i mean right now unsupervised laying underneath my desk under there she just curled up sleeping yeah. so do you have a gate in your cube or nope she's just stay say, she, say say your pup's name again tip it tip it yes yeah. that's for right. all the fly fly anglers out there you'll get that reference and tip it is sitting under the cube could get up and wander around but you're confident well, I don't know. She might be wandering around right now. <laughs> <laughs> she hasn't in the first seven days of your employment This, is, this here. is day two for her. Yeah. And uh, no, yesterday she was content just to There's out. other dogs that wander around. For you sure. Know, but uh, yeah, Tippett's been great. Yeah, she's got that speed and then she's got fire in her eyes. Yeah. Um, Athletic. Yeah. 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 A lot of fun to hunt with. Um. All right. Early season, late season, or mid-season. Hunting season. If I can, if the season's open, um, you know, I'm not really saving my days. I'm trying to get out, you know, as much as I can. Um, Mm -hmm. Depends on what you're hunting too. I'd say, uh, you know, I've been out hunting pheasants this last week in a couple days and those late season roosters are getting hard. Um, (laughs) You know, quail, I'm lucky in Nebraska. um, We're generally hunting a private ground because mm. I have access to, you know, my dad farms and yeah. then, um, obviously he knows the other farmers in the area. So, um, get lucky to hunt somewhat unpressured birds. There's not a lot of quail hunters, at least in that very specific area where mm-hmm. I grew up. So it's good all season long. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what, what about time of day? Do you have a morning, afternoon, golden hour? <sighs> I mean, I, I like to hunt all day if I can. There is something special about uh, hunting up until that last minute and mm-hmm. just cracking the gun open and putting it over your shoulder and walking out with your dog and kind of watching the sunset. There's that's that's uh, there's been some special moments when like that's it, hang it up, let's go yeah. home. Yeah. What about meal? Do you have a favorite way to prepare quail? For quail, um, yeah, pretty 
pretty traditional uh, spatchcocked, which is just a fancy term for cutting the spine out of them and flattening them out. Uh, just pan fry them. And then I like uh, some honey and hot sauce on the top. Maybe mm. some uh, hearty greens and some biscuits. <laughs> Big glass of milk. <laughs> you are from the South, aren't you? Do you put them on waffles too? You know, uh, pheasants. Uh, pheasants and pancakes. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my uh, great aunt Vi, every time she, I go home, she says, "You have any pheasants?" I bring her a couple pheasants, and she will always fry them and put them on pancakes. So very similar to chicken, similar to chicken and waffles. But uh-huh. pheasant pheasants and pancakes. pancakes with syrup driven, drizzled all over. Lots them? of syrup and lots of butter in a glass yeah, of milk. A big glass of milk, whole, <laughs> whole milk, red top milk, <laughs> red top whole milk, sweet milk. Oh yeah. wow! <laughs> and some some collard greens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. Some collard greens or some spinach or something. Yeah, mm-hmm. nice. <laughs> um, six species of quail in the United States. Do you have a favorite? Bob whites. I mean, but that's all I've ever known. So mm. I'm looking to looking to fix that here very soon, <laughs> as quickly as possible. <laughs> I might discover a new favorite. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, they are. Um, that is one of the underappreciated components of quail and quail forever. I Definitely. think is just, you know, it, not that pheasants are homogenous, but cause there is some subtle differences, you know, more based on their habitat than, but the pheasants act different in Montana than they do in Minnesota. In my opinion, it's, mm. a, I think it's a function of habitat, but quail, you know, which also six different species beautiful places and completely different looks you know some of them have top knots the you know scalies with the mohawk mm-hmm. you know they're just gosh they're they're just really really cool when you start you know exploring the six different species of them they're just really fun and you get to go do that here shortly yeah exactly <laughs> looking forward to that um for folks that are thinking, okay, I'm a member of Quail Forever, and for, you know, we're heading into our 20th year. Only the third time in our history we have a new editor taking the reins on QF, the QF Journal, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, What do you, do you have an idea of where you want to take the publication? What's your vision for where the publication's going? Sure. Well, we talked earlier about bringing more member voices into the publication, and I think You know, part of that is what makes the organization so cool and so unique is is our members Um, and and people that put the time and their money where their mouth is when it comes to habitat. Mm -hmm. So telling the stories of those members, um, I think, and and in the journal is is a big component of what I'd like to do. Um, I'd like to show all the great work that that QF is doing. Um, I think with conservation stories, uh, especially when it comes to, to Bob White quail, there's a tendency to tell stories that are gloom and doom. Mm. Um, you know, we've lost 80% of our, of our Bob White population over the last three decades mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, but I think telling those successful stories of where people have made a difference, it really, uh, inspires people to keep, keep up the fight, keep what we're doing. Um, I also think the, the quail forever journal has a great, um, literary component to it so i'd like to continue that tradition as well yeah yeah i I love um that thought process and your your comment about you know the the doom and gloom you know it's it's sort of counterintuitive we we know this from 
direct mail to social media when we roll out like the statistics about bird numbers being down or roadside counts being down, you would think people would rally to the cause in tough times. But the exact opposite is true. Like people have an easier time disconnecting when things are bad. When bird numbers are up, you know, when roadside counts are good or covey counts are good, people are like, heck yeah, it's a great, great year to be excited about quail. And they, you know, numbers of members surge and social followers. It's sort of counterintuitive. But to your point, it's like if you just uh, are constantly in the publication or on the website and social media talking about numbers being tough or habitat you know, losses of habitat, people will tune out. So we have to give them hope and excitement around the good things that are out there. And part of the good things are the six different species of quail. And I think about a microcosm of that, you know, like Arizona, you know, if there's a really wet year, one species will be up and two will be down Mm -hmm. or the, the opposite, right? If it's a dry year, one, you know, two species might be up and one down. It's kind of a function of different things, but, um, it, it, there's always some hope out there if you just look for it. So that's exciting. For sure. I think, uh, you can't be a quail hunter and not have some hope in your heart for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a, it's a, a required equipment along with your boots and your shotgun. Yeah. That's a good, good, uh, comment. What about, um, beyond the pub, the print publication, um, you have any thoughts on, social media, blogs, videos, podcasts, like which, which your long-term approach? Sure. Yeah. I mean, a couple, we've already touched on them, a couple ideas. Um, one of them is sort of bringing people along on the, showing the evolution of, of what we can do on our family farm to, to bring back, mm. not uh, to have more Bob Whites, right? Well, there's sure. some there, but, um, you know, how can we improve things for them? So I think that'll be, um, some interesting stories, um, across all of our, our platforms. Um, we talked about I love to cook, so you might be seeing some more uh, some more food content. Great, and you might see a picture of a pointer, uh, <laughs> maybe a little more often than the past. I don't know. <laughs> I imagine there's a crowd out there celebrating. It's like get Bob to quit talking about <laughs> short hairs. <laughs> uh, well, that's that's good. What, um, final thoughts? Th- anything you want to leave uh, our listeners with? Yeah, I, I mean, I know I, I'm the the youngest employee or the the quickest employee to be on the yeah, podcast i haven't not, been here that many days <laughs> maybe not youngest but the not youngest yeah. but uh least veteran there we'll you go. go with that but i mean i've only been here a few days but i i just feel like um you know talking about uh, when i grew up with quail and writing about quail in school and uh, having plans to move back to the farm and then this position came open mm-hmm. and, and just my experience here so far i just feel like this is really where the, the trajectory of my life and my career has taken me. So I'm mm. just really excited to be here and excited to get the ball rolling. Awesome. Folks, um, I hope you're as excited as I am to read the the stories to come from Ryan Sparks, our new editor at Quail Forever. If you're not yet a member, and I know there's a ton of Pheasants Forever folks out there who have not become members of Quail Forever, give it a try. It's just a simple 35 bucks 
um, to become a member of Quail Forever, quailforever.org. You can check out some of the different offers we got out there right now. Pocket knife, or I think it's a browning knife. We got the trampled offer out there, quailforever.org slash trampled. You can get the concert uh, merchandise associated with the Concert for Conservation coming up. Uh, all sorts of different opportunities for you to get involved in Quail Forever and help us create habitat for all six species of America's uh, quail, bob whites, scalies, gambles, valley, mountain and merns, or Montezuma, depending on where you're from. Um, lots, lots of good going on in the quail world. Um, Ryan, thank you very much for uh, for being kind of yeah. sacrificial lamb here on, <laughs> on day seven. That was fun. Uh, it was great to, to get to know you better and uh, really looking forward to having you on the team and seeing what you can do to generate and some excitement and inspire folks to get involved in quail forever. Yeah. Thanks. If anybody wants to reach out, that email again is uh, rsparks at quailforever.org. So just email away. Right on. All right, folks, I'm Bob St. Pierre reminding you to always follow the dog. Something good will rise. Thanks folks.